Christmas, but wow, what a beautiful day, isn't it? The songs that we sang really this morning could not have been more tailored to the chapter of Hebrews chapter number three, and specifically these first six verses that we're going to cover this morning. Hope you've enjoyed so far getting into this, this new series. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, those first two chapters felt like they kind of went, went fast. Um, so hopefully you're, you're tracking with us in these, these themes, these, um, these concepts, uh, these theological points that, that the author of Hebrews is, is looking to lay a foundation as we continue to uh, look at Jesus. We continue to linger at the personal work of Jesus. We continue to see this, this, this true and better high priest that is going to continue to be established more and more, chapter after chapter. And so we're, we're certainly excited to continue our way through. And I just wanted to start this morning with reading Hebrews chapter number three, verses one through six, just one more time, just so we have that most immediate context in mind. Verse number one of Hebrews chapter number three, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The title of this morning's message is Consider Jesus and Persevere. Consider Jesus and and persevere. This, this title this morning serves more as a summary statement than it, than it might as a, as a creative title. Uh, again, I apologize. My creative juices were running a little low. Uh, so we let the text just kind of create our own title this morning. Consider Jesus and persevere. This summary statement, this title is going to look back at the groundwork that has been laid in chapters one and two. Anytime we see that word, therefore, in verse number one, we should always be intentional and and purposeful to remember the immediate context as the the author is often working to build upon the context in the coming verses, and that is exactly what the author of Hebrews is doing right here. Chapters one and two have been fully established. Jesus is, is better. Jesus is better than even the glory of the angels. We've seen Christ, this merciful and and great high priest, this faithful high priest, established in chapter number two. We've also seen that, yes, Jesus even uses suffering, trials, difficulty for his glory to make us more like himself. And so the author of Hebrews would have us this morning to consider Jesus and persevere. 
I wonder this morning, as you think back on your life and some of those special memories maybe that you might have had on family vacations or maybe times you got away as a couple. Um, my wife and I just recently had a, had a time away. We were able to sneak away over to Colorado. Uh, the Lord graciously provided some, some means for us to be able to do that on a budget, and it was refreshing, uh, but I will say it was not relaxing. At, at the very young age of 38, I decided to try snow skiing for the first time. And uh, my body is still recovering from that poor decision. Uh, but there we were in, in Colorado. And I haven't been to Colorado all that often, but I have been a few times. And there's just something special about the Rocky Mountains. Right? Have, you, have you been there before? You know what I'm saying? You, you can look out and you see this, this great expanse of the beauty and the majesty and the glory of this incredible mountain range. The aspens, the, the pines, the mountains themselves, the fresh air, the sunsets, the snow caps. It's just, it's just beautiful. And I found myself at a, a few times when I wasn't nearly dying on a mountain uh, with skis on my feet, I found myself just a few times just stopping when I could stop. Uh, stopping and, and just looking out, just looking out at the mountains and thinking, we serve a great God. Reflecting back on Psalm 19 as it came to mind, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Just the, the beauty and the glory of God's creation, the handiwork that God displays even in the Midwest. The plains, the rolling hills, yes, even Kansas, uh, as flat and as much corn as there is. It's beautiful. God truly is a great creator. And as we think about these, these moments where we um, think back on maybe it's the Grand Canyon or maybe some other uh, just incredible work of the Lord and creation that you've been able to experience, in that moment, does not time just kind of slow down? I know for me, it, it, it did. It, it seemed as if it just came to a screeching halt. All the busyness of, of schedules and, and work calls and demands of ministry and, and family, it just all kind of stopped there in that moment as I, I looked out and saw creation and remembered who our God really is. Despite all the fun and special memories that we made on that trip, those few moments that we stopped and we just looked out, the Holy Spirit stirred our hearts to remember His creation. And we also remembered that the same God that spoke all of that into existence, this same God thought of me. That same God thought of you. Not only did he think of you and me, but he knows you and me. He knows our struggles, our difficulties. He knows every fear, anxiety, inadequacy that, that we experience every day. We, he knows the struggles that we're currently having in our marriage. He knows uh, the discouragement that we have maybe in, in parenting that uh, independent child. He knows the discouragement of not quite being able to 
meet the demands in the workplace. Feeling as if you're drowning. That burden is heavy. We have a God who knows and sees and cares. And the beauty of those realities is that when we gather and we open up God's word, we have an opportunity to relate to that God in that moment because that's what God's word is. It's God reaching out to us and desiring to be in relationship with his creation. For him to know us and us to know him, this is the the role, one of the roles that the word of God serves in our life. And so friends, this morning, we have the incredible privilege to once again open up the inspired and errant word of God and to simply consider Jesus. I hope when I say that name, Jesus, that carries the appropriate weight and, and worth and value in your heart, in your life, in your mind. This is the creator of all things. The one who spoke the entire universe into existence. The alpha, the omega, the first, the last. This is our great God, Jesus Christ, making himself known to mankind through the pages of the word of God. And so the author would have us to consider this Jesus this morning. This is what it looks like to consider something. Just as if you were to stop and pause and and to look out into that beautiful moment. We have an opportunity to stop and pause and to look into the face of Jesus, his person, his work. And to just linger in the beauty of all that God has provided for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to consider something. The the word in the original Greek carries the idea of deep and intentional contemplation. It can mean to to give very careful consideration to direct one's whole mind toward an object. That's easier said than done on a Sunday morning when you're trying to get out the door and you realize you got one blue sock on and one black sock on and you know you're chasing the kids around and you know the 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 gas tank was on empty as you pull out of the I get it right I've, I've been there I've lived those moments but here in this moment I wonder if we could just let all of that fall to the wayside and simply consider Jesus to direct our whole mind and attention and focused on not just an object but a person this morning. So then really the entire opening paragraph, verses one through six, they're going to hinge on this imperative of considering Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly, heavenly calling, consider Jesus. This is the opening imperative. All the verses uh, after will we'll really look back to this opening imperative. So friends, this morning, let's allow the magnificence, the beauty of Jesus to arrest our attention and let us linger this morning at the foot of the cross. The big idea of our text this morning is this. Jesus is the better and faithful apostle and high priest, and he alone is worthy of all glory and our full consideration as we, by his grace, confidently persevere to the end. Just because I haven't given a good mouthful in a while, I thought I'd 
catch up for time here, right? Let me read that one more time, give you a moment to jot that down. Jesus is better is the better and faithful apostle and high priest. And he alone is worthy of all glory and our full consideration as we, by his grace, confidently persevere to the end. This morning we're going to examine just three simple observations from our text. We're going to look at the comparison that is made. Secondly, we're going to look at the contrast that is established. And finally, we'll take some time to look at the conclusion that is declared. Point number one. The comparison that is made. The comparison that is made. Before we dive deep into this comparison, the author is going to provide this this statement of introduction in verse number one. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Well, we covered the word therefore in our introduction. So we're going to look back to this merciful and faithful high priest of chapter two that Pastor Andy Uh, So beautifully uh, painted that picture and exposited that text. We're looking at a a faithful and merciful high priest that has been declared in chapter number two. And and really the verses and chapters to come are now going to dive into what does that merciful and faithful high priest really look like? What is his role in our life? How do we relate to him? So many implications that are going to be unpacked in the chapters to come. But right now in this moment, as we transition to chapter number three, we're thinking back to chapter two, verse number 17, this this merciful and faithful high priest. The author goes on to address his readers in what way? Therefore, holy brothers, holy brothers, Again, another look back to chapter number two where we are reminded that this merciful and faithful high priest has made what propitiation for the sins of the people. Do you remember this? Propitiation is one of those rich and beautiful words that we see in scripture, but oftentimes it's confusing, right? If we're honest, misunderstood, or maybe not understood at all. Uh, it's, It's a big word, right? It's a theological word. It's not one that we use in our vernacular in our day. So what does propitiation actually mean? What did Jesus do in that moment? It is literally the turning away of the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sin by God's own provision of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let me say that one more time. What is propitiation? It is the turning away of the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sin by God's own provision of the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. As chapter 2 reminded us in verse number 18, for because he himself has suffered, that's Jesus Christ, right? Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he, meaning Jesus, is able to help those who are being tempted. It was Jesus, friends. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It was was Jesus and only Jesus who could appease the wrath of a holy God. Aren't you thankful that he did? Because if it were not for that perfect and complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself, we would still be in our sins. And Paul tells us we would be desperate, without hope. But Jesus made a way. The just judgment of God 
Jesus Christ, he himself, this perfect sacrifice, paid the just judgment of God through this merciful and faithful high priest. And because of that reality, because he has made propitiation available to us, because he appeased the wrath, because he made a way, we are now called what? Brothers and sisters of God. And not just any brothers or sisters. We are called holy brothers. Holy brothers. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4 remind us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Friends, are you thankful this morning that there is now no more condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus? Are you thankful for that reality? Shame, guilt, regret, additional payment, additional sacrifice, additional works. None of it is needed. None of it would do any good anyways. Jesus has paid it in full. He has done the work that we could not do. So friends, when we consider Jesus in Hebrews chapter number three, when we consider this imperative that the author of Hebrews would have us focus our attention in on, it's, it's reminding us and having us to recall and remember what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. I wonder this morning, does he call you this morning a holy brother or sister? Are you in Christ? Do you know him? Jesus Christ is your merciful and faithful high priest. Or are you trusting in someone else or something else to somehow earn favor or grace in the eyes of God? Friends, there's no work that we could do to earn the favor of God. Only the perfect and holy sacrifice of his son could make a way and provide propitiation, could appease the righteous demands of a holy God. So not only are we brothers, unholy brothers, but we also share in a heavenly calling. Do you see that in verse number one? Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. This heavenly calling is, is one of identity and also one of participation. Friends, do you remember Ephesians and and Philippians and these beautiful epistles that remind us who we are in Christ? We are joint heirs in the blessing and hope of eternal life. We are co-laborers and ambassadors of the Lord. And as we see this beautiful plan, this, this redemptive plan unfold from generation to generation, there's this reality that God has chosen us Imperfect mankind to be a part of his redemptive plan. In Christ, we share in both the blessings and the missions of this great high priest. 
Now, at this point in the introduction to this paragraph, the author explicitly does what? Implores his readers, and even us today, to simply consider Jesus. This imperative becomes, again, the hinge in our text that everything else will connect to. So in this immediate context, as we consider Jesus, we see him first as what? The apostle. I don't know about you, but as you read that, and you think back of your time and and years in the Word, can you think of another text or another passage where Jesus Christ is described as an apostle? The answer to that question is, there's not another passage that describes Jesus as an apostle. This is the only text right here that we have Jesus connected to this title of, of apostle. So what, what, is, what is actually being described here? What is trying to be communicated? What nuance or aspect or beautiful facet of Jesus Christ is the author of Hebrews attempting to, to draw out for us as we consider this title connected to the person and work of Jesus? Well, this word apostle in, in the Greek, it literally just means a person sent as a messenger. That's what ultimately an apostle is. In the New Testament, right? We have the, the 12 disciples who were established as apostles, and uh, they were what? Ultimately sent out by way of the Great Commission. Before Jesus ascended up into heaven, he told them to do what? To go and, and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This was. Christ sending out his disciples to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. The New Testament apostleship was typically established in in very specific ways. One, you had to be with or have seen Jesus. You You were called out, number two, directly by him for a specific mission and calling. And three, your apostleship was validated and verified by presence of Holy Spirit enablement and power to do what? Fulfill the mission that he has called you to do. I know I went through those quickly, but in essence, can we not... Consider Jesus as fulfilling appropriately this this title of apostle. Although this is a unique description of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we see Jesus in Hebrews chapter number 3 that he is the true and better apostle. We see Jesus sent from the Father to fulfill a very specific mission. John chapter number three, very familiar verses. For God so loved the world that he gave whom? His only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God the Father sent his son on a mission. And oh, did he complete that mission so perfectly. Jesus Christ verified the authority that he claimed with many signs, miracles, and wonders. Do you remember a number of years back when we went through the Gospel of John and we we dove into those miracles in depth? He asserted his power over, uh, over creation, 
He asserted his power over sickness and disease and even over death. Jesus validated his his authority was true and that it was from the Lord and that he was sent from the Father. Over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus proclaims these realities. Jesus did perfectly and completely fulfill that mission, ultimately by giving his life as a ransom for many. He completed the mission that God sent him to do. Friends, Jesus truly is the apostle of our confession. Not only is he an apostle, but once again, he is described as the high priest in verse number one there towards the end. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Looking back again to chapter 2, verse number 17, Jesus right here is affirmed as the high priest of our confession. Jesus not only revealed God to the people as an apostle, but he also reconciled the people to God as our high priest. He is the mediator. That's, that's ultimately what a high priest is. That was the role and the function of a high priest to be that mediator, that go-between, between sinful mankind and a holy God. This is the high priest that stood in the gap and made that relationship to be able to be sustained over time through the ministry of that high priest. So Jesus serves in that capacity on our behalf. This is the gospel, is it not? When we consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so when we consider Christ, we should see Jesus, the faithful apostle, and we should see Jesus, the faithful high priest. And it is He, In verse number two, it is he who was faithful to him who appointed him. Faithful. A faithful apostle. A faithful high priest. A faithful redeemer. A faithful savior. When we consider Jesus this morning, we see Faithfulness. Are you thankful for the faithfulness of Jesus? Yeah, I tell you what, in the world we live in, faithfulness is in short supply. It's hard to count on people these days, is it not? How many times can you look back on your schedule, your day, your friends, your acquaintances, people at work that say they're going to do something and what? They don't follow through. It's hard to count on somebody these days, is it not? Your word, a commitment, a scheduled meeting, it can be quickly canceled or disregarded without any type of thought about the inconvenience or difficulty that it may have on your life. Faithfulness is in short supply, but we have a God who is faithful. We have a Savior who is faithful. We have the Holy Spirit of God who is Faithful to encourage and instruct and convict and guide and direct. Faithfulness. In effort to describe the, the quality of this faithfulness, we now enter into the comparison 
The author of Hebrews is going to draw this important comparison to another prophet, which is Moses. This comparison isn't the first that we've seen in Hebrews, and it won't be the last. We're going to continue to work our way through this letter to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to see more comparisons that Jesus stands toe-to-toe and is always better. He was better than the angels in chapter number one. He's better than Moses in chapter number three. Jesus is better. And each comparison that's going to be made as we continue to navigate through this letter, the author is going to continue to create some distance between Jesus and the one he's being compared to. Although the ones being compared to certainly have their own glory, they have their their own right and place in Scripture for us to learn from and to grow from, at the end of the day, Jesus is creating space between these Christological figures and these ones that he's being compared to. Jesus will stand toe-to-toe and he will always come out on top because he is truly better. It's here that we see Moses introduced, and again, as an example of faithfulness to God. We see that in in verse number 2. Who was faithful to him, who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Jesus certainly was faithful to fulfill the mission that God had sent him to do, just as Moses was also faithful to fulfill the mission and the work that God had called him to do. Looking into this phrase right here, Moses also was faithful in all God's house at verse number two. This actually is alluding back to Numbers chapter number 12. Numbers chapter number 12, where we see this unique interaction where Miriam and Aaron, who are both prophets, are are rising up against Moses in uh, verse number one of, of Numbers chapter number 12. It says this, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. The Lord came down in a pillar of of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. There's the phrase. Verse number eight. With him, I speak how? Not through visions, but mouth to mouth. Clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant 
Moses. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And he departed. Pretty interesting narrative there in the life of Moses. So Moses here in chapter number three of Hebrews is drawn into this comparison because the readers would have understood Moses in light of this context. It was he that was chosen to lead the people out of oppression and into freedom. It was Moses that was chosen for the exodus. It was Moses that was used by God to part the Red Sea and lead the people across on dry land. It was Moses that was faithful to go where the Lord led and to accomplish what he had called him to do. So in the spirit of comparison, Jesus was faithful as Moses was faithful. And Moses stands in history as a Christological figure, a savior and a redeemer to the Hebrews. But Moses stands in history looking forward to the savior and redeemer that is better to come, Jesus Christ. This Jesus, this Redeemer, this Savior would secure a remnant and redeem them once and for all. So that said, let's move on to our second observation as we have seen the comparison that was made. Now let's look at the contrast that is established. The contrast that is established. Although Moses and Jesus were both faithful, the author will work to draw attention to their differences as well. And these differences will ultimately set Jesus apart as the true and better apostle, the true and better high priest. As an introduction to this contrast, the author emphatically declares in verse number three, what does he say? For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. The preacher then goes on to to build the case to support this argument. And he uses this literary tool of contrast to establish this truth. Again, looking back to our description of Moses in Numbers chapter 12, verse number seven, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. So the author of Hebrews carries forward this illustration of the house What is this house? This initial contrast is one of comparing the glory of the builder of the house versus the house itself. The author states the obvious, of course, what the builder, the creator, the designer, the architect himself would have much more glory and honor than the house itself. Why? Because if it were not for the builder, the house would not even exist. So then Jesus is worthy of more glory. Why? Because Jesus is the builder. He created not only Moses, but he spoke all things into existence. As we remembered in our opening comments this morning, do you remember Isaiah chapter number 40, verse number 28? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 45, verse number 7? I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. This is 
the sovereign God. The one who has authority and power over all things at all times. Although we may not understand His ways or His purposes or His timing or His plan, we can trust that God is sovereign and that He is working out all things for our good and for His glory. So verse number four then summarizes this initial contrast in this way for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. The builder, Jesus Christ, truly is worthy of more glory than Moses. So after establishing this first contrast of builder versus house, the author goes on to introduce one final contrast in verses 5 and 6. And that is the contrast of servant versus son. Servant versus son. Look at me at verse number 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So this contrast of, of servant versus son really is a, a significant one. Moses was faithful. We should commend him that by God's grace and for his glory, Moses was counted faithful. That is, that is a good thing to know. It is a good thing to learn. But friends, this passage in any other Old Testament narrative is not about how to be like Moses or how to be a Moses or to be a Daniel or to be a Joseph. We are looking to the true and better fill in the blank of your Old Testament character. Jesus Christ. We look at these men of God in, in times of old and we see how they, they relied on the grace of God. How they struggled even in their own sin. In their own depravity to follow and to trust and to walk by faith in the midst of difficult circumstances. Imperfect men and women accounted in the Old Testament. But friends, it's about the Jesus. It's about the God behind that individual who sustained, who empowered, who helped in their time of need. It is Jesus, the true and better Moses, that we are to look for. So Moses was faithful in all God's house, but as what? As whom? As a servant. Verse 6. Here's the contrast. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Do you see the importance of the text there. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. So this contrast between servant and son certainly is significant as it creates true distance as we contrast Moses and Jesus Christ. We see that Jesus truly is Better, Therefore, he is worthy of more glory. 
Moses was simply a faithful servant in the house of God, and Jesus was the son who was faithful over the house. The identity, role, and function of Moses and Jesus stand at great contrast for us to consider this morning. Let's move quickly to our third and final observation. I'll be quick, I promise. We're looking at the conclusion that is declared. What conclusions do we see declared as we consider Christ? And as we, we attempt by God's grace and for His glory to persevere through the end of this life that the Lord has given us. Verse number 6 again. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are His house. Oh, this is beautiful hope. Beautiful imagery. That Jesus Christ, the faithful, the merciful, the, the better prophet, the better high priest, This Jesus that is over the house, we're reminded that we are the house. And so if Jesus is over us, will he not care for us? Will he not help us in our time of need? Will he not give us exactly what we need? Will he not tempt us more than we're we're able? Will he not give us always a way of escape? Will he not be that friend that sticks closer than a brother? Will he not allow us to overcome the evil one in our time of temptation? Friends, Jesus is over the house and we are the house. I'm thankful for that covering this morning. I hope you are as well. I hope you're going to be encouraged, strengthened, emboldened to remember that Jesus is over you. If you are in Christ, He is over you. It doesn't mean that we won't fall into difficult times. It doesn't mean we won't come across persecution. Trials and difficulties as Pastor Andy just walked us through in chapter number two. But we have a merciful and great high priest who is there with us. With empathy and sympathy. Who's been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. And he has made a way as our great high priest. This was the contrast that we saw in chapter number one. It's a contrast, again, that we see in chapter number three. The sonship of Jesus sets him apart from all other apostles, all other high priests. As the Son of God, he alone stands as our faithful apostle, faithful and great and merciful high priest. As the Son of God, he alone was able to meet the demands of a holy God and pay for our sin on the cross of Calvary. And look at me again, verse number six. What is the other conclusion that is declared? And we are his house of which Jesus is over. Do you remember Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 16? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and 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 deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus is the head. We are the house. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 5. You remember this? Paul 
admonishing the church at Corinth over these divisions that were rising up. What then is Apollos? What is Paul's servants through whom you believed? As the Lord assigned to each, I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters is one, but each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. See, God desires to use the church for his glory. He desires to use the church to further the redemptive plan that he has established before the foundations of the world that some would plant, some would water, and by God's grace and in his time, he would give the increase. And through that increase, God has promised to build his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse number 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Because of who Jesus is, And because of what he has done on our behalf, indeed we can and should hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We can hold fast. This word has the idea of a perseverance in holding on. It is Jesus who builds the house as he sees fit. He draws, he saves, and he preserves our faith on our behalf as Bodhi Bauckham has Noted before, if our salvation were up to us, uh, friends, he says, we would lose it (laughs) every single time. Are you thankful that your salvation is not up to you? He draws, he saves, and he provides the power to preserve our salvation now and for all eternity. I'm thankful that the perseverance of the saints, that great doctrinal truth and reality, it's not up to us. But rather, it is the ministry of this faithful apostle, this high priest, it is the Son, Jesus Christ, that is over the house. It is Jesus Christ. One final verse, and we'll close this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Friends, this morning I wonder, are we boasting in Jesus? Consider Jesus and persevere this morning. Would you join me as we close in a word of prayer? God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your love towards us. Thank you for these realities, these truths, that we have a true and better Moses. We have a better apostle, a better high priest. We thank you that Jesus has made a way. I pray even as we look forward to the verses and chapters to come, as we continue to see these themes unfold moment by moment, I pray that our our minds, our hearts would be gripped by these realities and that they would change our heart ultimately so that we could know you more.
We could experience you in these ways that we see on the pages of Scripture that we would remember and know you as a high priest that cares for us. Father, maybe even more importantly, I wonder if there's not more glory that could be due your name as a result of our lives. I wonder if we've strayed, wandered. I wonder if the the beauty of of Christ and considering Christ in the gospel, I wonder if that's fallen on hard times, if we've been distracted by the cares of this world, the busyness of our schedules, whatever it might be. And Father, we just need to stop and, and hit a time out in our life and simply consider Jesus. And I pray that as a result of that simple, humble, Holy Spirit-enabled exercise that we would see you. We would see you high and lifted up. And as a result, you would draw amen to yourself. Father, I pray that you do a work in our church. We pray for revival. We pray that you would stir our hearts. I pray that you would awaken us to these realities that we've seen and heard this morning. And Father, I pray that we would proclaim the truths of this next song. The question, is he worthy? I pray that we would boldly proclaim, yes, he is. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together as we sing this final song, Is He Worthy?